0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we... uh we're excited to dig into your word we're so thankful for it we're so thankful you've not left us in the dark to guess about who you are to guess about what you require of us to guess about how we can be right with you and we're just so thankful that you made it plain in your word and as we open it we pray that you would enliven our hearts and our minds and our souls we pray lord that you would fulfill these new covenant promises that we're going to look at today to cleanse us from all uncleanness and idols, to, to give us a new heart that beats for you, to fill us with your spirit so that we can walk in all of your commands. And Lord, we look forward to the promise of this new land that's coming where we will enjoy your presence fully. We just pray, Lord, as this is unpacked, Lord, that you would cause our hearts to be thrilled with the things that you've promised, Lord. We pray that you would help us to delight in the things that you delight in. We pray that you would help us to love the things you love. That you would cause us to hate the things you hate. And Lord, that you would set our affections wholly on you. We pray that your Son would receive all glory from everything we do today. And we pray this in the name of him, Jesus Christ, and we thank you. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're in uh, the last in this covenant series. So we've been in a series on how all the Old Testament covenants point to Christ. Uh, Covenant is a promise, and God made several major promises throughout Scripture. And you see, like, we did all these. So uh, we were in Genesis 3, and we looked at the promise to Adam and Eve. We Further on in Genesis here, and looking at uh, Noah's promise, promise to Abraham, the Mosaic covenant. Last Sunday, we did the Davidic covenant. And we're going to do the new covenant today. And as you look at all these covenant promises, they're not like they're just a, like a string of pearls. Like, you know, there's this covenant, and they needed this one, and that one, as if they're not related to each other. They kind of unfold more like a seed unfolds into a flower. And I know this diagram has a ton on it, and you're like, oh no, this is scary. But there's two diagrams here. I'm going to talk about this one. I'm going to talk about this one. But the covenants kind of unfold like a seed grows into a flower. You know, they're all connected in such a way that more and more emerges with time. And of course, I use the tulip here because it's, it's the most reformed of flowers, and so it seemed appropriate, but, but God's covenants unfold as, as a seed unfolds into a flower. The seed promise is in Genesis 3, right? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had sinned against God. They were banished from God's presence in the garden. Adam and Eve received a covenant promise, though, as they were being kicked out of that place. God cursed Satan and gave Adam and Eve this covenant promise when he said to them, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so there's a covenant promise here, this first promise in Genesis 3. And it's a little cryptic, I agree, but it's a, it's a promise. What we can determine from that promise is that a Redeemer would come. That Redeemer would represent God's people. That Redeemer would represent God's people in defeating Satan and and undoing the effects of sin, and then giving people back the garden, giving people back the place of God's rest and His presence. And everything that was needed to be saved, guys, was already there in Genesis 3. That seed promise in the the covenant of grace was everything somebody would need to be saved. Every person in history that's ever been saved and made right with God has been, been saved through that covenant of grace given in the garden, by trusting in a Redeemer to come. But as we saw throughout our series, is that that promise, that covenant promise grows through the Abrahamic covenant, then the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then we're going to do the new covenant today. God comes after, uh, he makes that promise to Adam and Eve. A little bit later, he makes a promise to Noah. The promise he makes to Noah is that he's going to sustain the world, no matter how evil people are. God's going to sustain the world until he accomplishes all of His promises. Later on, he comes to Abraham, right? And he promises that this redeemer that Adam and Eve heard about, this redeemer is going to come from from Abraham's family, right? And he's going to bless all nations. And Abraham's going to be the father of a great people. And they're going to be given a great place where they're going to be able to enjoy God's presence. You can see in that promise that the the seed is clearly starting to develop into a little plant. The first stage of God's promise to Abraham was given through uh, Moses, that first stage of, of that promise, where the people were national Israel, and the land was the holy land, the land of Canaan, and the presence was ultimately in the temple. That's the first stage of him making this promise, keeping the promise of a people, a place, and his presence. The Mosaic Covenant, of course, also was a covenant of law. It was a covenant of works. And what that covenant sought to do is to show that we cannot be made right with God through our works. That was the purpose of that covenant. And you see all those bloody sacrifices and you see how you can't come directly to God and you have to go through a priest and all these things. It was all meant to show that we cannot, in of our own works, make ourselves right with God. Next, God makes a promise, a covenant promise to David. He makes a promise that that Redeemer, same Redeemer that Adam and Eve had heard about, same one that Abraham was promised, this Redeemer would actually come from David's own line and that he'd be a king. You see how the promise is developing? It's the same promise of a people, a place, God's presence, and a redeemer. But now we know that it's a king who will come from the line of David, who will bring God's people into a land where they will experience his presence. And now we're starting to see that this people and this place and this presence is a kingdom with a king. And so by the time Jesus came, God's people were awaiting a king from the line of David that would accomplish all of these promises. Do you see how the plant grows? These are all interrelated, and so by the Davidic covenant, we have very clearly this king that we're waiting for, and we can tell it's a flower, but we're not seeing the flower open yet. We know that there's somebody to come. There's a lot of details that have come out, and then the new covenant comes with the coming of Jesus, and the flower opens, and inside that flower, we see very clearly that this redeemer that was promised all the way back in the garden is Jesus Christ, the historic first century Jewish man, Jesus of Nazareth. And it opens up and it shows us that he is that king that we've all been waiting for. He is the king promised through all of these covenants. And we see that, that the promises are, are larger, which is kind of exciting. Because remember, like in the Mosaic covenant, the covenant to Moses, the people were a national Israel. The place was Canaan, the presence was in a temple. But in the new covenant, all those promises get bigger. Just like a flower opening up and the flower is just insanely large. What we find out is that the people are a global people both Jews and Gentiles, people from every tribe and nation and people and language. This promise of a people is much larger. And what's exciting is this promise of a place is much larger. The boundaries of the Holy Land eventually being expanded over the entire world. That there's a new earth coming, a new promised land that encompasses the whole world. Galatians 3.8 says, Know this then, that it is those who are of faith that are the sons of Abraham, As scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so you have one people of God, both Old Testament, New Testament, Jew and Gentile, all believing in the Messiah, all inheriting this great new place. And then God's presence gets expanded too, because remember in the Old Covenant time, in the Old Testament, God's presence was concentrated in the temple. But what we see when we look at the end of the Bible is God's presence being concentrated in even a bigger way, but over the whole world. that There's no need for a temple because God has made the entire new creation his temple. Isn't that exciting? I just think this is amazing. I know it's like a very detailed diagram. You're like, what is going on here? But I wanted to show guys that this, this covenants, they're all linked and they're all unfolding and you've got more and more detail as, as they go along. And so the new covenant, guys, is is ultimately the fulfillment of the promises to all these people. The new covenant is the fulfillment of the covenant of grace and the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. It all grows into this one new covenant. And, um, and so it's the promise that was made all the way back in the garden coming to fulfillment. And so all people that ever been saved have all been saved the same way through the same uh, covenant of grace. Now, the two clearest passages we have on the new covenant are in the old testament It's jeremiah 31 so we're going to look at that and we can take this down because this is freaking people out um we can take down <laughs> so jeremiah 31 and ezekiel 36 so if you guys could find those two chapters we're going to look at both of those both of these prophets that were telling god's people about the new covenant to come they were ministering in a very dark period in israel every time i say a very dark period in israel it's like every period it seems like a very dark period in israel but but this was a very dark period in, in israel's history What was happening was they were continuing to fall into idolatry. They were being hauled off into Babylon, into exile. So we're talking about six centuries before Jesus was born. And as Judea is being hauled off by the Babylonians into exile, and eventually their temple is going to be destroyed, these prophets came and God had them say to his people that God is not going to abandon them. Even though they're idolatrous, even though they've fallen away again and again, God is not abandoning his people. God will fulfill, he will be faithful to his promises to Abraham. He will make a new covenant with them. So look at Jeremiah 31, 31. It says this, Behold, and just think about this. Think about the, these, these poor people. I mean, they were idolatrous and they were sinful and all that, but they're, they're being hauled off to, to Babylon. They're having their whole you know, way of life destroyed, and God sends them this promise. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer each one will teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I'll remember their sins no more. How beautiful would that be to hear in that time of just national darkness? Notice that this new covenant, it replaces the Mosaic covenant. It says in verse 32 that it's not going to be like the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of Egypt. That Mosaic covenant, the covenant they made with Moses when they came out of Egypt, was a covenant of works. It was a covenant of law, and they broke it, it says here repeatedly. That was to show that we can never be made right with God based on our own works, based on our own deeds. But what it is, is a continuation of the Abrahamic covenant, which is a covenant of grace, a promise that is kept by God's faithfulness, not ours. And so what I want to do is I want to look at this covenant this morning. And it's really cool because it's, it's cool that it's, this lands on New Year's weekend. I mean, it was somewhat engineered, obviously, but it turned out really well that it would be on this particular weekend, I want to actually look at five new covenant promises that we see in Ezekiel. And I want to challenge us to all of us, myself included, to just grab hold of these new covenant promises, because we really have something special in this new covenant. And they're promises that we don't regularly actually take full advantage of. And um, they're all in Ezekiel 36. So flip over there. Take a look at Ezekiel 36, 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be cleaned from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove a heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Um, this is just a perfect text for us to look at on our first Sunday together in 2022. New Year's is actually my favorite holiday. I've mentioned that to some of you guys before. That might seem strange, but I get really excited about New Year's. I love it a lot because it's kind of like a fresh start. And I know it's arbitrary. It's just a calendar thing. But to me, it's a really great symbol, the gospel, that we can start fresh and we can have a new start. And um, how many of you guys made New Year's resolutions? Is that it, really? Is it fallen on that hard of times? Um, how many again? Like like what? Like 3% or something? Interesting. And how many of you guys, keep your hands up, how many of you guys made New Year's resolutions, how many of you guys broke them already? <laughs> anyone, anyone already broke them? You already broke them, Tabitha, good job. I was singing about New Year's resolutions uh, yesterday as I was driving and I was seeing all the new joggers. You know, it was everybody was jogging, even like people that could hardly move were jogging. And, um, and so I'm driving past all these joggers on the way to Krispy Kreme and uh, <laughs> And I was just thinking about this, this whole time of New Year's and like how hard it is to keep these resolutions. What I'd like to look at this morning is some resolutions that are actually like based on Scripture. Resolutions that are actually based on God's new covenant promises. Because I really think as we read through these, you'll see that we're very tempted to live in the old covenant. We're very tempted to live as if we don't have these promises. And what I want to do is there's five of them here that I want to unpack for you. And I want to just challenge us to live... And new covenant lives. You know, live according to the promises of the new covenant. And the the first one is, let's live with new covenant gospel confidence. Look at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Uh, Let's live with confidence in that promise, guys. Let's live with confidence that Jesus has truly made us clean. You know, God's people in the old covenant, they were saved by grace, just like we are. They were saved by faith, looking forward to the Messiah to come. They were saved in the same way we are, but they had a lot less certainty about their cleansing, right? I mean, even this promise is in future tense because they had not yet seen the way it was done. They had to cling to shadows and types and promises. They were saved the same way we were, but they were grabbing hold of shadows and types and promises of things that God was going to do to come that were going to make them clean. But we guys have seen how it's been done, right? We've actually seen it accomplished. We've seen how our sins have been washed away. We've seen that Jesus has come, that he's lived this flawless, beautiful, perfect life, that he died in our our place on the cross for our sins. We have seen that he has been raised from the dead to validate all of his claims, especially the claim that it is finished, that he's removed all our sin. We have a huge advantage, guys, over old covenant people in the sense that we see with clarity how God accomplished this cleansing. And I just say to any of you guys that are here this morning that have not ever felt the incredible wonder of having all of your sins removed, that Jesus invites you even today, guys, to come and make a deal with him. You could come and you can make a covenant with him. And listen to his invitation to come into this new covenant. Isaiah 1 says this. This is an invitation to you. If you've never received Christ, if you've never felt your sins to be removed, this is what Jesus says to you today. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. You're like, it's that simple? Yeah, that's the deal. Come, and I'll remove all your sin. Come, and I will cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. Come, and I will make you that your sin, though it's like crimson, will be white as snow. And the Lord's given us a really cool covenant symbol of this. You know, Augustine said that the sacraments are their visible words. They're a way we see the gospel, and God's given us a covenant sign of baptism to remind us of our cleansing. And so if, if any of you have not been baptized, that you have trusted in Jesus Christ, he has made you clean, but you've never actually taken the covenant sign of baptism, let us know. We'd love to baptize you on the 30th as a symbol of that. But for the rest of you guys, for those who are been a Christians for a long time, a little bit crusty, baptism waters dried a long time ago, this promises for you. It is really important as Christians that we remember that this is not just an invitation for other people. This is your promise. God has promised you that you've been cleansed from all your uncleanness and all your idols he has cleansed you. Guys, let's live this new year with new covenant gospel confidence, right? I had a counseling call with somebody on Friday. And it's not somebody I know, but he wanted to talk about, he'd been involved in some very destructive sin patterns and he wanted to he's desperate not to fall into it again. And we talked about some things that, you know, could be helpful in that area and kind of dealing with idols of the heart and all these kind of things. But then I felt led to ask him, what do you think God thinks of you? What does he think of you right now? And he was like, well, you know, I know that God loves me and, and I know that he thinks that I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And I was like, okay. I mean, certainly God is not unaware of your sin. Certainly God is not unaffected by your sin. And I know you're a dirty, rotten sinner. But is that the way God thinks of you? Is that, the way, is that God's dominant view of you? When he thinks of you, does he think of you as a dirty, rotten sinner? You know? Um, Jeremiah 31, 34. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What's God trying to say there? You know, God can't forget things, right? But what is he saying? He doesn't call to mind your sin when he thinks of you. Do you believe that about yourself? You guys who are Christians have trusted in Christ? Do you believe that God remembers your sin no more? You're like, well, I can't forget it. Well, God has. He remembers it no more. How about another promise from the Old Testament? God says that if you're in Christ, that your sin has been driven from you as far as the east is from the west. How far apart are those? How many miles are the east and the west apart from each other? It's infinite, right? The north-south, we have a way to measure. East-west, you don't have a way to measure, right? It's infinite, right? As far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sin is from you in God's mind. He's like, I put it way over there, okay? I don't think of it when I think of you. Or another one, God says this in the Old Testament, he says, I've cast it in the depth of the sea. You know? Or there's another one where he says, I put it behind my back. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say he does not think of your sin when he thinks of you. That in his mind he has cleansed you from all your uncleanness, guys. In 2022, let's stop living as old covenant people who feel very uncertain about God's cleansing of us and believe the gospel promise, guys. Let's let's believe it vigorously. Let's believe it vigorously as we battle sin in our lives. Let's believe it especially as we battle sin in our lives, especially as we're dealing with the idols in our heart and the sin in our lives, and we're battling those. Let's believe this promise. Because guys, the fact is, is that you will not experience gospel power over sin until you have experienced gospel confidence. You have to fight sin as someone who's been cleansed, who knows yourself to be cleansed in God's sight. You know, you're not going to ever get anywhere battling sin by believing that you're still staying in God's sight. It's not the way it works. So let's, let's live with new covenant gospel confidence. Secondly, let's run as hard as our new hearts will take us. Take a look at verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you all. Remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Have you been laboring to follow God and to do the right thing with a stone-cold dead heart? <laughs> you know, you know, people do that. People try to do religious things. They try to, like, follow the Lord, but their heart is stone-cold dead. And that was a huge issue in the Old Covenant, you know. The, they couldn't keep the law because the law couldn't change their hearts. You, know, you guys have read through the Old Testament. Over and over again, the Lord's like, my people are stiff-necked, they're hard-hearted, they keep you know, being unfaithful to me. What's going on there? They, didn't, they weren't given this new heart. They needed a new heart. That's why the people in, in, were at the time that Ezekiel was written, that's why they were being hauled off to Babylon. Because again and again, they were unfaithful to the Lord. Because they needed a new heart. If you're trying to follow God with a stone-cold, dead heart, you need Christ. And if you have Christ, you actually do have a new heart. You have a living, alive new heart. Now, it might need to be revived. <laughs> I'll give you that. You might have a new heart that like needs some, you know, compressions, maybe needs to be jolted a little bit, you know. You need to be revived. That happens, but if you're in Christ guys, you have a new living heart. You know, many of you guys are sitting here right now this morning with hearts that are alive and beat for Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's probably I mean, it explains why you're here, right? There's a million reasons not to be here, right? But you have a living heart that's alive beating for Christ. Peter puts it this way: though you have not seen Jesus, you love him, and though you do not now see Him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Is that you? You have a heart that's alive and beats for Christ? Guys, that's not normal. It's not normal. You may have had a heart that's alive for Christ for a long time, but realize that thing you have in you, that aliveness towards God, is not normal. It is an amazing gift of God. It's something you can never give yourself, right? You couldn't give yourself a new living heart any more than you could, you know, perform your own heart surgery, right? But you've been given this gift. It's just an amazing gift. Reminds me of the passage that Dawn read earlier, Ezekiel 37. As she's reading this, you're probably like, what's going on here? that I had to read that passage. It's an amazing vision. It's this, it's this, in this vision, God has Ezekiel go out into this valley of dry bones. It's like where a huge army had died like a long time ago because there's all these dried human bones everywhere. And it says, and they were indeed very dry. As if to say like, they were super dead. There's like no chance is gonna come back, right? And, and the Lord asks Ezekiel in that vision, he says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel goes, oh Lord, you know and he tells Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones, right? And, and as he's prophesying over these bones, it says this, and as I was prophesying, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone into bone, and I looked, and behold, there was sinew on them, which is like the ligaments and connective tissue, and flesh came over them to cover them, but there was no breath in them. So he's prophesying, and all these bones start clanking, and we make a great like Halloween-type time of year sermon, but all these bones are clanking together and all this sinews coming on and these skeletons and then skins coming over them, as, as the word of God is going out. It's such a beautiful image, right? The word of God giving life. And then, and then he, he says there wasn't any breath in him and he said, son of man, you know, prophesy to the breath. And then he said to me, son of man, these are the bones of the whole house of Israel. Behold, you have said our bones have dried up and our hope is lost, indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from the grave, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from all your graves, O people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And there you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. It's another one of the, the promise in Ezekiel of like the spirit-giving life that he's telling God's people Israel at that time. He's like, I'm going to raise you guys. I'm going to make you come alive. And he's not just talking about physical resurrection here. He's talking about spiritual. I'm going to make you alive to me. And that's what's happened to you guys, if you're trusting in Jesus, is that you were just like a pile of dry bones. Some of you guys, it wasn't that long ago. Some of you guys, it was this year or last year. You were just a pile of dry bones, and they were indeed very dry. And you heard the word of God, and you came to life, and he gave you this newness of life. It's an amazing thing that he's done for you. Guys, let's in 2022 resolve to stop living like old covenant people with stone-cold dead hearts. They need to be revived for sure. There needs to be some effort put to make this new heart beat stronger. But guys, let's run as hard as we can with the new hearts we've been given. Let's not aim super low. We've been resurrected spiritually, right? Third resolution, let's live in Holy Spirit power. Look at verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is really cool. So this is where the batteries are for the new heart you have. So you have this new heart. It beats for Jesus. It's amazing. It's a miracle. It's a very strange thing that you have. All of a sudden, you, you love the Lord. But the batteries for that heart actually come from the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Spirit living within you. And, and you guys, we have a totally different relationship with the Holy Spirit than people in the Old Covenant did. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit did empower them. Spirit would come upon them, the Holy Spirit would strengthen them to do things. He would work through them. But the, the new covenant promises the Holy Spirit has come to make permanent residence within you. God lives in you. You know, just like he lived in the temple before, God lives in you. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us new abilities to keep God's law. Take a look at verse 27 again. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is really interesting, right? Because you might think like, okay, well, if we're saved by grace and we don't have to worry about like keeping any commands. No, he actually makes us able to live the things that God has commanded. Not, not to earn anything from him because the Mosaic Covenant showed that's impossible, but out of gratitude to love God back. That now we're alive and we have this heart beating for Jesus and we're like, you know, I actually want to do the things he wants me to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we actually want to. And in 1 John, it says that his commandments are not burdensome. You know, we want to live the things he says. And the Spirit gives us the power to actually do it. You guys realize that because of the Holy Spirit, there's, there's no command in Scripture that you cannot learn to do. There's no command in Scripture that you cannot learn to do. But it does take learning, right? We have to learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to learn how to seek his power and not live on our own. And we constantly trying to live as old covenant people, Right? Like, okay, there's a law, I'm going to do it, I got this, right? And then what? Fall on your face, right? Day two of the year, right? You know, January 2nd, and what do we do? We're repeating the old covenant experiment. Yep, still, still can't do it on my own, you know? Let's try tomorrow and see if I can do it on my own. Nope, still can't do it now either, right? The experiment's been run. It's been run in my life. I'm sure it's been run in your life. It's run in the history of Israel. Guys, the Spirit is here to enliven us and if you don't really know how to live in the power of the holy spirit i'm not saying you're doing this perfectly but like more and more you're seeing the spirit work in your life if, the, if what i just said is a total mystery i would ask you to grab somebody in this room and ask them to disciple you to actually spend some time with you and show you how to live in the power of the spirit and if you go to that person and you say hey can you disciple me i want to learn how to live in the power of the spirit and they say oh i don't know how to do that then both of you go find another person in this room And say, can you disciple us? And if that person says the same thing, then the three of you will have a group with this other person. But it's something that we need to learn to do, guys, right? Like, we've been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to actually have him live through us. This is a new covenant promise, you know, that we should really want to take hold of. Let's stop living as old covenant powerless people. Let's live in the power of the Spirit. Fourth one, let's live as pilgrim people. Take a look at verse 28. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. There's a land promise here. There's a land promise just like there was in the Old Covenant. There's a promise of the land of Canaan, uh, the Holy Land, the the Promised Land. But in the New Covenant, we look forward to the borders of the Promised Land extending over the whole world, that God's going to make the earth new. You look at Revelation 21 and 22. There's going to be a new heavens, new earth, and God's presence won't be confined just to the temple. It'll fill the whole world. And there's a really cool passage you could read on this Ezekiel 47. You can read this a little bit later. But there's a cool vision there where coming out of the temple, there's like a trickle of water. And and it's a picture of God's presence like trickling out of the temple. But the interesting thing about the water as it trickles out is it gets deeper as it goes, which rivers don't normally work that way. As it gets bigger, and first person's just kind of walking ankle deep, and then it's leg deep, and then the guy's swimming, right? Because. This presence of God as the presence leaves the temple gets larger and larger and then spreads over the earth and you see it giving life to the desert and all these different places. A really cool vision, Ezekiel 47. And it's a picture, guys, of how God's presence no, no longer de- defined by the temple, but spreading over the whole world. That God's presence covering the entire world and giving it life. A land where all God's people, Jew and Gentile, Old Testament, New Testament, will soon inherit. In the meantime, we're um we're like abraham remember abraham he was promised the, the the land of canaan he was promised the promised land but he didn't receive it right in his lifetime but he sojourned in it kind of wandered around in it and he knew like this is my land but you know the people that lived there were like no it's not and he's like well it will be <laughs> someday that's us here in this world that we're sojourning in a land that god's promised us but not yet given us this world is not our home yet it will be our home when it's made in new heavens and a new earth And so we're sojourning. And so one of the challenges I have for us for the beginning of this year is to live as a pilgrim people, guys. Let's not live overly attached to this land, okay? Let's not live overly attached to this world. Let's not live overly attached to our nation, right? Let's not live overly attached to our bank balances. Let's not live overly attached to our career advancement or our possessions or our bodies or even each other, which is the hardest part, right? Or even each other, because guys, we will be together again in the true promised land. Like, we're gonna gather together again. I was thinking about this because I was thinking that we're gonna send off Rick and Christy uh, today. They're gonna move off to Alaska. And those kind of partings are super hard, right? Unless we believe that we're gonna meet again in the new world, and we are. We're gonna meet again in the new heavens and new earth. As let's resolve in 2022 to live as pilgrim people, as people are just passing through. As people that are actually camping out on a land that will be ours when the world's made new. Last one. Guys, fifth resolution. Let's seek nearness with Christ. Take a look at the end of verse 28. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's a foundational promise throughout the Old Testament. He says over and over again, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. It's a promise of intimacy. It's a promise of relationship. It's a promise of knowing God. The old covenant guys didn't really offer that much in the way of close fellowship with God. Quite the opposite. Do you guys remember Exodus 19? You know When Moses goes up on the, on the mountain and, and he had to warn people. He said, don't even touch the base of the mountain or you'll die. Okay, God's up on this mountain, lightning, thunder, all this stuff. And uh, if even animals went near the base of the mountain, they would die. It's a huge keep out sign. Why? It's a huge keep out sign to, to say that our sin is separated us from God, right? It's an image of that. And the whole priesthood was that way. Don't come directly to God. You can't go in the Holy of Holies, you know? You're cut off from being right in the very presence of God. It was a big sign to say you're separated by your sin from God, which is a tragedy because God is the happiest of all beings and the source of all everlasting pleasures. So there's this being that you were made to know, it's the source of all happiness, and you're cut off from him, you're you're at a distance from him, you're not able to come near. The new covenant, guys, welcomes us into a whole new relationship with God. It speaks about being God's friend, him being our father, us having an intimacy with God. Jeremiah 31 puts it this way, and I will be their God and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Isn't that a cool promise? You know, it's not like you had, a, there's no intermediary there. You can know him yourself. All will know in the new covenant. There's a book, Knowing God. You, how many of you guys have read Knowing God by J.I. Packer? It's an amazing book. In the beginning, he has this distinction between knowing about God and knowing God. Those are different, right? It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to know God. And that's what this promise is, is that you can really know God. Not know about him, not have a friend who knows a lot about him or knows him, but you can know him. Guys, this year, let's really seek to know him, right? Let's not keep God at arm's length. I feel like I do that. Do you feel like you do that? God's here and I want to kind of keep him at a safe distance, right? Let's not keep God at arm's length this year. God's not holding us at arm's length, that's for sure. So we shouldn't hold him at arm's length. We're gonna do a new series uh, starting next week. We're gonna be in the book of Psalms. And it's gonna be an excellent time, guys, for you to really draw near to the Lord, to really seek to know him personally. As we're doing the book of Psalms on Sunday, but as you're reading the Psalms, it's an amazing time to, to receive God's invitation to really know him. God's not holding you at arm's length. He doesn't want to keep you over here. That's obviously true, right? I mean, he, he spills his own blood, right, to cleanse you, to bring you near. And then he changes your heart so that you have, like, a heart that beats for him. You actually have, like, nerve endings for the enjoyment of God in your heart. He's obviously like, okay, I cleansed you, and I'm giving you a heart that could receive me. And then if there were any doubt at all, he comes to live in you by the Holy Spirit. It's a rough neighborhood to live in, Right? He comes in to live in you. Like how much more could God be saying, Come, <laughs> enjoy me, come near. You don't have to be far away. I got you cleansed. I give you a heart that can know me, that has, you know, inputs for me, right? And then I came to live in you. I, I really want I really want you to know me, right? That's made it incredibly clear that he wants this. He's made it clear that he wants a relationship with you. How about you? How will you reciprocate this year? For all these <laughs> advances God's made towards you, how will you this year reciprocate? You know what, what practices will you add into your life? Not to earn anything from him, but just to get nearer to him, to enjoy the nearness you have in the new covenant. How will you draw near to him more this year? Great place to start would be start reading the Psalms. If you read five a day, you can read the whole Psalms, book of Psalms in a, in a month. Set aside 119. To do by itself on one day. That's a whole day's worth. But let's draw near to the Lord. Let's really know the Lord and not just know about him. Let's walk close to him instead of walking at a distance. Let's resolve to, to draw near. Let's pray. Father, these are promises. You promised us that you have cleansed us. You've promised us that you've given us new hearts. You've promised us that you put your spirit within us. You live in us. You've promised us that you're going to give us this great land to come. Lord, you've promised us that we're your people and you're our God and we belong close to you. Lord, help us not to take these promises lightly and help us not to live as if they weren't given. Help us to grab hold of these promises and run with them, Lord that this year would just be a new year of intimacy with you, a new year of seeing you work to to remove idols from our hearts and to strengthen us, and that we'd walk in a way that's more godly and holy this year because we're walking near you. We pray that you grant all this for the glory of your Son and your renown in the world and for your mission in the world. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion in just a little bit. I just want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. In the ancient world, it was common when two parties made a covenant that they would have a meal together, right? So two parties would make a covenant, they have a meal together, and the idea was, is like, we're cool, right? You and I are fine. We made a covenant. We have a bond. And having a meal with somebody is, is an offer of fellowship. The Lord's Supper is a covenant meal. The Lord invites us to take communion to show us that through Jesus, everything's good between us. We can sit down at his table. We're welcome at his table as his beloved kids. And that's why it's really important, guys, as we take the Lord's Supper, that no one takes it that hasn't really come to trust in Jesus Christ. Super important. And I can, and I can describe it to you this way. What would it be like if an ancient king were sitting down at a meal and one of his enemies just came up and started grabbing food from the table? Right? And so it's really important, guys, that only those who are trusting in Jesus Christ actually sit at the table with him because it's a sign of how we're right with him. Okay, Hottelberg Catechism gives us a great explanation of who should take the Lord's table. The question 81 says, who should come to the Lord's table? This is super helpful, guys, because there's two things that happen with the Lord's Supper. One is that people come that shouldn't, but then there's people that don't take it that should. And actually, the second type happens a lot, too right? And so this, this answer is really helpful. Who should come to the Lord's table? Answer, those who are displeased with themselves because of their sin, yet trust that these are forgiven them and that their remaining infirmity is covered by the suffering and death of Christ and also desire more and more to be strengthened in their faith and to amend their life. But the impenitent and hypocrites eat and drink judgment to themselves. And so as you're thinking about the Lord's Supper for yourself, let me ask you this. Are any of you guys here in this room displeased with yourself because of your sin? Can you just show of hands? Anybody disple- Some of you guys aren't displeased with yourself because of your sin. Interesting. Are you displeased with yourself because of your sin? That, would be, that qualifies you to come. Are you yet trusting that these are forgiven and that your remaining infirmity is covered by the suffering and death of Jesus? Anyone? Anyone here who desires more and more to be strengthened in their faith and amend their life? then you should take the Lord's Supper. Now, the last part is a warning. The last part is a warning that anyone that's harboring secret sin and doesn't want to surrender it right now to the Lord should not take it, okay? So if a person was like, you know, have the sin in my life and I just do not intend to leave it, then you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. That's pretty clear throughout Scripture that you shouldn't do that. But if you would release it to the Lord today, then you're totally welcomed in, right? So you could have to come and had the worst week possible. Okay, in sin. But if right now you're wanting to turn from your sin, then you should take the Lord's Supper. Parents, make sure that this is appropriate for your kids to take it. If your kids have an understanding of the gospel enough to take the Lord's Supper, they also should be baptized. So let us know. We'll baptize them on the 30th. We're happy to baptize even really young kids that understand the gospel. And then we'd have them take the Lord's Supper. On the night that he was handed over to death and suffering, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, Take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took the cup of wine it was given, and he said, Drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you, and the forgiveness of many. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for these, uh, these elements, this bread and this cup to remind us of the beautiful life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. We're thankful that you've given us, as Augustine said, these visible words that we can take the Lord's Supper and have this be just a way of you saying to us, all is well between us and you. You've welcomed us to your table. And we thank you, Lord, that this is a picture of the supper to come. That in the new world, we will sit at your table with you. That we will enjoy you. That we will see your face. And uh, we're so thankful for it. As we take it, Lord, we pray that it would be a blessing to our bodies, to our souls, to our minds. Lord, we pray that by your spirit, you would feed us on the presence of Christ. Lord Jesus, stay with us. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken our hope that we may know you as you're revealed in the scripture and in the breaking of the bread. Grant this for the sake of your love and your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.